Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Has anybody ever been to Sunday school before? AJ, you've been to Sunday school? I have been yep. many times. Yep, me too. And uh, there's some stories in the Bible that are odd that sometimes you don't learn about in Sunday school. And so uh, we t- this series is geared all about that. And because the reality is there's just some weird things in the Bible. There's just some strange things that as you're flipping through the Bible, you're like, what? Why is that in there? Why is that detail mentioned? And sometimes you just go, all right, next. And you just flip to the next page because they're bizarre. They're odd. And we don't know what to do with them. In fact, this week I came across a book uh, that I do not recommend um, because it's a very sarcastic book. It kind of is a blow to Christians, but it's called Awkward Moments Not Found in Your Children's Bible. And there's a picture of it. And it's like, oh, that's so nice. There's Noah and all the animals. And I don't know if Noah's like cussing at the people out in the water, but like they're all just a bunch of dead people out there. Like, and it's kind of what made me kind of pause and look at that is it kind of made me go, yeah, there are some odd stories in the Bible, some very strange things in there. Yeah, when you think about a lot of the things, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes when you really think that's like kind of like that. There's a bunch of dead people in there and you, people put that on their kids' walls. Yes, and yeah. I mean, I don't want to show of hands how many of you decorated in Noah, but, you know, it kind of makes us think twice a little bit about that. But there are awkward stories in the Bible, and sometimes we can wonder, well, why is that detail in there? Why is that story mentioned? What am I supposed to do with it? And so for the month of June, we're going to be looking at some of these strange and kind of bizarre stories in the Bible. And uh, here's the thing. The series is going to do one of two things for all of you. One, it's going to make you get really excited because you're going to be like, yes, I want to know about these strange stories. I want to understand the craziness in the Bible. But two, I think what it also is going to do is it's going to challenge your faith. I think for a lot of you, you're going to think, well, my God doesn't sound like that. Like, that's not the God that I serve. But I, so I think it will challenge some of us in, in what we think. And, and I hope that it will do that. But the goal of the series is to do a few things for us. One is to just have some fun. Like, that's kind of why we've brought this up, the table up. That's kind of why we're set up this way. It's just to have some fun talking about these topics, right? Like, I think that's an important thing. Yeah, like, there's something special about talking about biblical things, especially weird stuff, because a lot of times you'll just keep it to yourself. You'll read something. You'll be like, that's so strange. You just then ditch it, leave it behind. But when you do something like this, where you get to talk to somebody about those weird things and discuss those weird things together and study them together, it helps you work through those things and also make light of what is actually going on there. You come together with two minds instead of just one. And it's nice doing it this way with with all of you because it, it allows you guys to kind of see the process a little bit. Because what me and Nate did is just both studied separate. We both wrote down our notes separate, what we studied in it, and then we just kind of come together and say, all right, well, what does it say? And we yeah. talk about it. Yeah, and I think, too, I think what it'll do is hopefully it'll show you how to study your Bible, too. I think it'll be really helpful as we kind of break these things apart, as we look at this stuff. I hope that what it does for you is it kind of helps you understand our process, and you can see, so when you're reading, you can kind of do the same things. But, uh, too, you know, I think also it's beneficial because, you know, uh, nothing in God's Word is here by mistake. It all has a purpose. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do or teaches us to do what is right. 
God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And, you know, the, the third thing that I think this series will do and the goal of this is just to build your faith. I think really it will challenge you, but I think it will also help build your faith. And so really the way that this series came about was it really wasn't supposed to be a series. It was supposed to be a podcast. That was the whole idea. And I remember back in 2019 uh, on a Sunday morning, I was kind of out front and AJ, you came up to me and I don't don't know, how would you describe yourself that day? Flustered. (laughs) That is a good way. That's a good way. Yes, yes. And I I just remember he came up to me and he just looked at me and he was like, tell me what you think about David. And I was like, all right, blow down, Charlie Brown. Like, you know, like, uh, I'll tell you. So I I told him, I said, well, some things that kind of come to my mind are, you know, like he's a shepherd or, you know, David and Goliath. Like, that's like he's a warrior, you know, like those are some things that kind of come to my mind. I don't know, AJ, what are some things that you would describe, some adjectives? Typically like honorable you think of a man after God's own heart. It's this guy that God has been with. He pursues God as obedient. Um, I think repentant. You think of mistakes that he made, but he repents, turns back to God. Those are the typical things yeah. we use to describe him. Yeah, Psalm 51 written by him and, and all that. I think those are all great things. But So I said that to him, and he looked at me, and he goes, well, I think crusty. And I was like, what? Crusty? Yeah, like crusty old David. I was like, well, explain, would you? And so, so I had read um, towards the end of David's life. I was reading through that that portion of the Bible, and David's like basically on his deathbed. He's coming to the close of his life. Um, he's cold all the time, and something very weird happens. Basically, um, he tells people, "Hey, I'm getting close to the end." And then the people in the room are like, "All right, you, know, you guys know what we need, we need to do." Go search the entire kingdom far and wide for the most beautiful virgin girl. Bring her back and let David spoon her. <laughs> so crusty old David is spooning this girl. And it's like, that's disgusting. What is happening here? What, this is not the David I know. It seems immoral. It seems like things are wrong here. And it's like, that's not the David that I'm accustomed to. So that's kind of that initial thought where kind of things stemmed for this series. Yes, yeah. And, and there is a lesson in it. Yeah, we won't leave you guys thinking about crusty old David that way. Uh, <laughs> Basically, the idea of what was happening was, at this time, that was like the most cutting-edge medical knowledge of the day. They viewed, like, youthfulness could be transferred to, like, people who are on the edge of death. So if you were close proximity to them, they would begin to be more alive again. You might be able to give them some more time. So there's probably other things going on a little under the surface. It's very weird, but... Overall, what it just kind of shows us is it's a good thing we live in modern day. We know a little bit more. Medicine has evolved, and that's a good thing. Yes. So, yeah, but, but really, it, it did. It set us down this path to kind of like look at, well, why are these stories in the Bible? Why are some of these odd details mentioned in the Bible? And what are we supposed to do with these stories? And so we kind of just started coming up with a list. And the podcast never happened, and, uh, but we decided this year to kind of turn it into a series. And so for the month of June, that's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of make this, I don't know, if, does anybody like podcasts? Do any of you all listen to them? Like a few of you? Yeah. So I hope that this is an engaging way. I hope that this is something that encourages you, builds your faith, and I hope is a little bit of fun too as we kind of kick off the summer as well. But um, yeah, we're just deciding to bring this to, on a Sunday for the next month. Yep. Now... Second Kings, if you have a Bible, Second Kings chapter 2, better turn there, that's where we're going to be, 
We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 25 today. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, we'll have the verses up on the screen, or you can download the YouVersion Bible app as well, and you could go to the events, and you'll be able to follow along, and uh, you'll be able to take notes there as well. But 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 23, it says, He, and this is speaking of Elisha, he went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Just in case he didn't hear it, they said it a second time. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and, for, and tore 42 of the boys. Verse 25, from there he went to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. What? That is a very odd story. It's a very strange story. So the title of today's message is Bad Boys, Bears, and Baldies. That is, that is it. And to all of my follically challenged men out there, this is now I know your life verse. You're like, yeah, go ahead, make fun of me, and I will curse you in the name of the Lord, all right? But when we're reading this story, it kind of seems a little unbelievable, right? It's a little bizarre. We're kind of like, why is that in there? Why are these kids making fun of this bald guy? You might even think, well, this seems like an overreaction to a joke. Like, can, the, can this guy not take a joke? Yeah, like, really, if you just slow down for a minute and think about what we just read, it seems absurd. Like, when you really look at the details of what we read together, it will immediately raise questions about what is happening here. This seems very outlandish. It seems very far-fetched. Like, this shouldn't be able to actually happen when you really get into the details. And it's so important to look at things like this a little bit deeper because stuff like this, what we just read here with these bears and and the insult that's being made, this is the kind of stuff that is used very often to try to discredit the the Bible, Mm -hmm. to discredit the Word of God, to discredit who God is, what kind of character God has. People go to these things that are very obscure that most people, Christians, don't want to look into further, don't know how to look into it further, so they skip over it. But then these things come up a lot. So it's kind of important to dig deeper into them. I mean, I I think as we're kind of digging through there, like, let's just take a second and like actually just think, observe it for a second. This dude is traveling in the desert. It's high desert. So there's kind of like forest and stuff there. He's traveling in this desert and it seems like he's getting heckled by elementary school kids, like a tribe of nine-year-olds just bursts out of the woods and starts following him, heckling him. Where are their parents? Yeah, exactly. Where are they? How does that happen? There's never a, you know, a tribe of nine-year-olds. I've not bumped into one. No. Maybe at the, like, pickup line after you take your kids up at school. Yeah, yeah. But there's no Bethel Elementary in there. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you see those weird things happening, and it's like, well, how could that be? That doesn't, that's not real. That wouldn't just happen in real life. Um, You see the comments that they made? Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. It's like. That just is kind of like a ridiculous insult in and of itself. It's kind of like soft. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It's just like kind of dumb. It's like, what is that? Like, it's okay, whatever. Um, It feels like it shouldn't be taken that serious. And then you see the response from Elisha, from the dude getting heckled. It seems like he's super thin-skinned. His response is to curse them in the name of the Lord. So does that make it better? No. Okay. 
He, it seems super excessive, doesn't it? It just yeah, comes off yeah. as like, wow, that's like really aggressive. Like you couldn't shrug that off. Think if, if any of you have kids over in Awaken Kids, your kid's acting up a little bit. And if one of the teachers was like, I curse you in the name of the Lord, <laughs> you would be like, calm down, bro. It's, he's nine. Okay. It's not that big of a deal. Like move on. But then you see this, this happen here and it's like, why would he respond that way to them? And actually, I was thinking about it. It reminds me a lot of a pop culture moment that just happened recently, what we just read. Some of you might be familiar with the Chris Rock, Will Smith debacle. The slap heard around the world. Exactly. This deals in a very similar way. It's with bald heads. Okay. It deals a comment that's made that seems like not that big of a deal. And he freaks out quite a lot about it. It feels very similar. We can kind of relate to it. That's, that's kind of the, the feeling of it. So did they, but it doesn't say, keep my, keep. Keep your bald head out of my mouth, right? Like, he doesn't say that. Keep my God's name out your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't say that. Yeah, he doesn't. But all of this stuff culminates with two random bears blasting out of the woods and mauling 42 kids. What? How? How does that happen? Why is that the thing that happens? And then to make it even more weird, after the bears maul the 42 kids, we just move on like, like that. <laughs> No explanation. It's just, just a Tuesday. He keeps on traveling, goes to the next place. It's like, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? So this whole thing, when you really just take a minute to think about it, I can understand why people come to the conclusions they come to. This, that's ridiculous. It's not far-fetched. But you come to those conclusions when you stay on the surface. Things change quite a lot when you dig a little bit deeper and you start to try to pick it apart. So that's kind of what we want to do. Yeah, so so that's kind of just, anytime you're reading the Bible, you kind of just do some, just observation. And that's just what that is. It's kind of just observing the text. But uh, again, like what AJ was saying, that a lot of times people like to use this as uh, against Christians saying, well, Christianity isn't that loving, God isn't that loving, and they use this as a proof. A lot of times atheists will use this text as well. And so sometimes what happens is on the surface, what we just see, honestly, that this story would be in that book, Awkward Moments Not Found in Your Child's Bible. Because really, the world likes to use that to kind of like give us a punch and, and kind of use it against us. But if, that, if all you do is do an overview, you're going to miss the deeper truths. And so really, to understand what some of the deeper truths are, we have to look at the context. We have to look at um, the language that's being used. And, and like, who is this guy, Elijah? It's kind of like the first place that we need to start. Because we're kind of jumping in. It's like, he... And so we're like, well, who is Elijah? Like, how did he get to this place called Bethel? And if you want to think of Elisha, Elisha is a prophet. And uh, he's being trained by this guy named Elijah, which has always bothered me, too, if I could just have a moment. Why do they have to have such similar names? Like, that's always really bothered me, like Elijah, Elisha, and it's hard sometimes to keep them apart. But, but they are. They're both prophets, and uh, uh, Elijah is kind of the Jedi master, and Elisha is the Padawan, uh, kind of learning about what it is to be a prophet. And sometimes when we think about prophets, we think, well, aren't they just people with crystal balls that kind of just predict the future? Like, that's all that they do, but that's not it at all. Because people at this time, they couldn't walk around with Bibles, They didn't have God's word, and so God used prophets. They were kind of individuals called by God to speak on behalf of God. And so they were kind of, you could think of them as like the voice of God. Yeah, like Elisha is is a prophet, and that word prophet, like when it's talking about that, 
Um, it means spokesman or speaker. So you can think of he's like tasked with going around to these different cities, these different places, and sharing with the people, hey, this is what God commands for you. This is what your life should look like. These are the things that you need to do to be obedient. And he's kind of constantly checking in, and then the Lord speaks through him and moves through him to show that, that he really is, is the guy that God is, is going to be working with. That's why miracles happen around the prophets so much. Because that word, actually, prophet, if you go really far back in time, um, they used a language called Akkadian. And if you go all the way back there, this, this word that's used for prophet um, means the called one. So the idea is like you are picked, you're selected. It's not just a random dude who's like chosen out of the blue. So prophets are a big deal. And on top of that, Elisha, what's happening right here, he is a prophet, but he's like the newly established like lead prophet. Um, Elijah, who was his, his like leader, was teaching him up. Um, Elijah, in the beginning of this chapter, chapter two, we didn't read it. Elijah gets taken up in a whirlwind, which is crazy, crazy too. Yeah, like, yep. that's, that's a very strange occurrence as well. But he gets taken up in this whirlwind, these, these fiery chariots. He's gone, and he's no longer on the scene anymore. And his cloak and his staff fall, and Elisha picks that up. And that's supposed to be the sign that, okay, you are now the, the predecessor. You're the guy now who's supposed to take what Elijah was doing. You're going to do that now. So he picks that stuff up, Elisha does, and he begins to go with it. And he does a couple of miracles, some interesting things. Yeah. Um, he, the reason God's doing those miracles straight off the bat is because he's establishing Elisha as a prophet. He wants people to understand, no, he is the guy. He's not just saying it. When he goes around, you're going to see miracles happen. That's because he is actually chosen. So you need to listen to him. So that's why you see these things taking place around him. So that's kind of what we're picking up on. That's who Elisha yeah. is. Yeah, and that's and, and getting up to, before we even get to the Bethel part, that's kind of what's been happening in chapter 2. He's now going around doing these things, kind of like you're saying, kind of proving that he is now God's voice for the people. And he takes Elijah's robe and he kind of parts the river with it. He takes some salt and he cleanses a river with it. And so he does some really cool things. But um, Bethel is a very interesting place place because there's a lot of idol worship happening. AJ, I don't know what you found out about Bethel or what you could explain about Bethel. Bethel is a pretty important city, and Bethel had been around for a really long time, and it's a city that was held by the people of Israel, so they should be following God. Like, it should be people who are honoring God who are listening to Elisha, but they were a city that had been in this weird ebb and flow, like, all throughout history. Um, they are constantly following God sometimes, but then not later. They're, they're switching allegiances constantly between the God who really is deserving of worship and all of these other gods, these other spiritual powers who don't deserve worship, but who are very real, who are real out there. They, they exist. They're not absent. They're real things that they are worshiping and following instead of the true God, the true one worthy of, of worship, which is Elisha's God, our God. Um, so Bethel is in this constant state of switching allegiances, which is really interesting because Bethel, the actual meaning of that, means house of God. So it's interesting that the house of God is constantly at war. There's a spiritual war zone always happening there of who's in control of it, whether the true God is worthy of worship and all these other unworthy gods. Yeah, and, and some of what I found out was that there's a lot of sexual immoral things happening there. Um, I think we could equate it to a Las Vegas in a way, um, and that they worshipped a lot of golden calves, which seems very weird that that's what 
they kind of revert to and what they do, but that was all in that place. But that's kind of who Elisha is, kind of a little bit about Bethel, but let's get to the strange part. Again, verse 23, he went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys, other translations, your Bible might say little children, groups of boys, came out of the city and jeered at him. So anytime you come to a strange part in the Bible, what you need to do is is you kind of need to kind of do a little research on some of the phrases, some of the words that are used. Because, um, again, this was originally written in Hebrew, and there's actually, I believe, two Hebrew words for it. And and what you do is you have to look at it and say, okay, do I see this phrase, small boys, pop up anywhere else? It's really helpful, especially if you can find it during the time that this was written. And so in First Kings, you could see this phrase being used about a guy who went and he killed people. And so we could see from there that that's not something a small child can do, is kill lots of people. But we see it in other places as well in the Bible. We see it about talking about Saul um, when he's being appointed king. It's used for Isaac when he was turning 28, Joseph when he was 39. It talks about another king when uh, he was 40 years old. It's used to describe him as well. And so we could see that this phrase, it pops up in a lot of places. So it's not necessarily something about being young or little children. No. So like that's that, that context, understanding the time and the language that's used. Like, like Nate said, it's two different words. Um, the two words that are used right there are small which in this case is intended to mean insignificant or unimportant. So that word is coupled with the word boys, which is youth, servant, or lad. Now, back in this time and in this culture and in the context of it, they didn't view ages as like all that important. It wasn't about like how many years old you are. It wasn't like how we are today where, oh, you got to be 16 to get your, begin to get your license. That's our, our cutoff point. That's not how they viewed it. Um, but they viewed it in like ages, when you'd be called youth or these different terms. Um, it had to, a lot more to do with like life stage and experience. Interesting. Um, life stage and experience. So what you would do is typically it had to do with like people who are unmarried. So if you weren't married, that showed that you didn't have a family yet. You hadn't led a family yet. You probably weren't working in a way where you're managing like some kind of business or something like that. So you'd be considered a youth. So that term, small boy, insignificant child, something like that, that could span. It's not about age, really. It's about that life experience. So what we're talking about here is, and it's not a tribe of nine-year-olds. Realistically, it's a bunch of young men, probably, I mean, at the low end where we might be talking 13 because you could get married at that, at that young technically, but we're looking at like probably between like 13, and like Nate said, it could go all the way up to 40. There's a bunch of people here spanning all different ages because small children doesn't mean literally children. It's that life stage. Yeah, and I think that's, that's interesting because these people that probably met him were probably students of a false prophet um, they also could have been priests, so very young in their priestly duties. But I think the biggest takeaway here is that they were trying to stop Elijah from entering the city. And, and it is true. I think we can look at this on the surface and go, well, this looks like a gang of toddlers, but it wasn't. It was actually a actual gang of guys who did not want uh, Elisha to come into the city. But I think we need to understand kind of what's saying here. Um, because when we see the phrase, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head, 
what they're saying is, why don't you be like your friend Elijah, Elijah, and why don't you just step off? Why don't you go do what he did? You know, leave this city. We don't want you here. I don't know. What did you find out about the bald yeah. head? So like stuff? that whole phrase, the go up, you bald head part, it's, it's like a slap at Elijah and a slap at Elisha, both of them in like two different ways. So when they're saying go up, they're, they're referring back to the way that Elijah was taken. It's the same words. If you go back in 2 Kings, it's somewhere in verses 1 through 14, you'll see it says that he was taken up. It's actually the same words. So the idea is they probably heard about that. They knew like what had been told. They weren't there for it, but they had heard what was said about Elijah and how he was taken up. And basically they're mocking him. And what they're doing is belittling it. And they're, they're, they're trying to show disbelief. They're old enough to know exactly what they're saying. This is not just like flippant comments they're making. They know exactly what they're saying. And they're mocking Elijah and who he stood, stood for, what he stood for. And when they're saying bald head, um, that's kind of foolish. But there's a cultural context there too. Like having a full head of hair, which is it's just very interesting. It's the way the culture worked. If you had a full head of hair, if you had beards, full beards and stuff, that was a sign of like honor and respect. So people can technically help that, you know, not everybody's going to have a full head of hair, but that's how they viewed it culturally. So if you were bald, it was sort of like a knock on people. And it wasn't, doesn't full across the board, where it was automatic. If you were bald, then you weren't respected, but it definitely affected the way people would view you. So when they're making that comment, that shows us Elisha is bald, they're balding at least, and they're making fun of him for that. They're, They're disrespecting Elisha intentionally in their comment because they know he's a prophet. What they're doing is intentionally said to belittle him and to, to make fun of who, who he is. Um, prophets, it's important to know this, that prophets stood as physical representatives of God, of, of a God on earth. Like they were the physical representative. So if you are mocking a prophet, you are essentially mocking God himself. Because what you're saying is, I don't respect you or the God you stand for, and I don't think he's powerful enough to do anything to me. So I'm willing to make fun of him, make fun of you, because who cares? He can't affect me. He's weak. That's what they're doing right now. This goes far beyond just a flippant, small comment. It's, it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah, and I think that the last thing they really wanted was the voice of God holding them accountable. I think they just really wanted to keep living the way they wanted to, doing the things that they wanted to do. They did not want to have the voice of God coming in. And so Elijah, hearing all this, kind of turns around, and he goes, in the name of the Lord, and he, he curses them, and then we see a bear attack. And what's interesting is that Elisha is not the one who sends the bears. God's the one who sends the bears. And you can think, well, that doesn't make it any better. Like that actually kind of makes it worse in here. You know, it's, it's kind of like, what is going on? Why did God do that? And I think it's because God doesn't tolerate idolatry. It says the first commandment is, uh, thou shall not have any other gods before me. Yeah. And like when it says that Elisha is in this moment and he turns around and he saw them, it's not like he's just like spun around, <laughs> noticed them and starts shouting at them. That's not what happens. The, the wording is a little deeper there too. That word saw, when it mentions that, it means to inspect, perceive, or consider. So he's like taking the time to work through what's happening around him. And if you think about it, he's in a dangerous situation. There's like 42 or more dudes shouting at him angrily, mocking him, making fun of him. He's at, at risk right now of being like severely beaten potentially. Like that's what's going on around him. 
But Elisha does something interesting in turning and cursing them in the name of the Lord. Because that word cursed doesn't mean to like cast a spell or like a hex like he's some kind of like sorcerer. That's not what's happening there. Um, The word means to make despicable. It's like he's pointing out and, and clearly stating to them, what you guys are doing is wrong. It's unacceptable. You're outside of what you should be doing. And there's going to be a judgment for that. Down the line, when he talks about in the name of the Lord, um, what that means is it's implying reputation or authority. So he's saying, what you're doing is wrong. And in the reputation and the authority of God, you will experience consequences for it. Things are going to happen to you. He's stating these future repercussions are going to happen because of the evil ways that you are choosing to live in. You should turn from that. So he's being very front and center about the truth. He's not shying away from that, even though he's at pretty significant risk right there. So, yeah, then those consequences happen a lot quicker than they would have expected (laughs) with these bears bursting out of the woods and starting to tear them apart. Yeah, and and then this, so what's interesting here, so kind of what happens to them, the Bible doesn't really say, and and I like it, we have similar ideas, but a little bit different. Um, I think they uh, all survived. Uh, You think at least some of them got killed, but we'll kind of share kind of like the the point of views here. I think really what happened was these bears just kind of um, pummeled these kids, roughed them up, beat them up just a little bit. Uh, And part of the reason why I think that is because I did some research this week, and I found out in at least North America, we have about 750,000 bears. And on average, there's about one death per year due to a bear attack. And it's usually in Alaska, and it usually involves a grizzly bear. And so bears are not really fond of people. They kind of keep to themselves. And the bears being described here are Syrian brown bears. So they're half the size of a grizzly bear. And so they're, they're not as big. And I don't think they, I think they just kind of roughed them up a little bit. And so then I think that these 42 young men went out after being beaten up and they went to Bethel to go tell the story. And then, of course, verse 25, it talks about Elisha just continuing to go on. But you have a little bit of different of a perspective. Just a little bit. Slightly. So- for me, like that word tore, um, it means uh, to like be split up, ripped apart, or broken up. So I kind of view it as like somebody's getting ripped up. <laughs> and it doesn't say specifically that, that people died or didn't die. And then that actually doesn't really matter all that much. But I just kind of think of the situation. There's two bears, 42 people. All you really need to be is the fastest guy. Just don't be the slowest, and you'll make it. So I'm sure some people did live, but I think somebody had to go. I mean, I I feel like God riled these bears up when he sent them out, and I think they were, like, pretty upset. So I I kind of think somebody was dying. And and in the end, it doesn't really matter. Did people die? Did they not? We don't know. It's not a real big deal. But here's the thing I think that we do know, and I think the thing that is very valuable for us is that God in his message, he takes it seriously. And Elisha is the new messenger. And so... There's the story. So what are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to apply this to our lives? Is this the life verse for all of my follically challenged men out there? Or is there something more happening here? And and really, one thing that I, I found out through this week and through this studying of this is that there's always an ongoing war between God and his worship and false gods and their worship. There's an ongoing war between light and darkness, God and God's. And here in this story, Elisha represents one, 
And these mocking men represent the other. And I think this story does another thing for us. I think it reminds us that there are large groups of people who make it their, their life goal, part of their um, job to drag other people away from God. I mean, we still see it today. Like we said, atheists, other people will use this story to try to convince us that there's not a God, or they'll use this to cause questions to come into our mind. And so I think what we see here is that there are large groups of people who make it their job to try to drag us away from God. Yeah, I I think very similar in that direction. Just like our culture, the culture that we live in and our world will always be at odds, like with us. Like they're always going to be at odds. There's not going to come a point where we're not, as followers of Jesus, at odds with our culture and our world. And that's because following Jesus is a committed allegiance to his kingdom. That means you're following his ways. You're pursuing his, his desires. You're making what he's called us to the, the priority of your life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. If you're not doing that, then you're on the opposite side. You're in the opposite camp. Because for our culture, they are following a committed allegiance to the kingdom of self. So everything points to their desires, their wants. They're seeking, they're following ultimately what I believe to be these other spiritual beings that really are out there. They're seeking glory through people pursuing their own selfish ways, their own pleasures, their own comforts, their own wealth, all these things. That's following the self, the kingdom of self. You're either in one camp or the other. Your allegiance is either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self. There's the two camps. These are the two waging wars, the battles spiritually taking place all the time, constantly around you. This kingdom of God and the kingdom of little gods. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to us at all um, or a shock to us when we live in a world that mocks us as followers of Jesus. Why would that not happen? They, they believe completely differently than us. They're following other things than us. It doesn't make sense to them. The way that we live and, and the things that we believe seem foolish to them seems absurd and ridiculous to them Um, because our identity, our purpose um, is all found in Jesus. And that's the opposite of how our world operates. So our identity is found in, okay, who am I as a child of God? What is, he has made me, created me for a purpose. So that's where I find my identity. If it's outside of that, I'm following the kingdom of self. So my identity has to be in Jesus. The second part of that is our purpose, what we actually do, what we live for, the way that we try to live our lives and the things we pursue. That falls in alignment as followers of Jesus with what he's called us to. If it doesn't, then you're not following his purposes. You're following in the purposes of self. So for us, we have to understand that there are very different things happening. So you can feel that, that tension between these two waging wars, the spiritual battles in your life all the time. You'll feel it at school, the way people look at you, the way people think about you because of your beliefs. You feel it at work. You feel it maybe even in your own families at times. You feel all these things. That's that tension of spiritual warfare happening. This isn't just differences of opinions. It's not just difference of worldview, and it's like, oh, we just don't see eye to eye. They're going to view us poorly. They're going to want to mock us. That's why John 15, 18, this is Jesus talking, says, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. We should expect that. If they hated Jesus, why would they not hate us for following in his footsteps? And then we should expect to be looked down on and seen as fools. 
We shouldn't try to appease people and make them view us as, oh, they're okay, actually. And we shouldn't try to bend to the way people are to make them think differently of us. We have to stand up for truth in the same way that Elisha did. Elisha was willing to face potential bad things. He's willing to be mocked, but he still, he didn't just turn around and wander off. He's, oh, I'm going to defuse the situation. He's willing to speak truth into their life, to tell them the truth about the situation, even at the potential cost. And we should be willing to stand and speak for truth too. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, or foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If that's the truth, why would we not stand up for it? We know where life is found. We know where purpose is found. So stand up for it. You're going to be in this war all the time, but we know what we stand on. Yeah, I think the, the truth too is that another parallel we could see is that um, we all have golden calves in our life, right? Like there's the golden calf of self or the golden calf of other things going on in our life. And what I think this story shows us is that God is more powerful than the golden calf. And um, the people of Bethel got the message that God is powerful. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting is that God does go to great lengths to get people's attentions so that he can reach them. You know, this story, don't get me wrong, God is, is a good God, he is a loving God, he's a forgiving God, a merciful God, a gracious God, but God is also a powerful God. And the truth is that he does promise judgment, that judgment is coming. And there are a lot of worse things in, in this world and things that we're going to face than death, sickness, or even being mauled by some bears, There is an eternity of isolation and separation from God when it comes from a life if we reject God. See, these boys here, they're they're mocking God. This city had completely rejected God. And in a way, God's like, all right, your time's up. Judgment is coming. And it came a lot faster than they really anticipated. And the Bible tells us that God will not be mocked. The reality is God's not going to be mocked forever. We could turn on the news and see all the ways that God is being mocked. It's not going to happen forever. There's going to become judgment. There's going to be judgment for it. Romans chapter 6 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. It started in Genesis. It continued through Elisha's day to Paul's day into our day. Apart from Christ, we all deserve judgment. We deserve nothing less than being mauled by some bears in the woods. And so I think this story, what it really does for us is it serves as a warning that judgment one day will come. For these guys, it came really fast. For us, God is allowed. He's been merciful and gracious in letting us hear the truth so that we can turn from our sins, turn from our ways, and turn to him so that God can give us true and lasting and fulfilling life that only comes through him. And if, if you're here today and you don't know God is your Savior, let this story be a warning that judgment is coming, that you will face judgment, but God has been gracious And he is giving you a chance to turn from those sins. Or maybe for you, let this story just be a warning that maybe you have golden calves set up of self-worship or other things going on in your life. Let this story be a warning to you that judgment will come. God will not be mocked forever. So that is week one of our series. I hope that this was encouraging. I hope this was challenging. I hope this was helpful. And I do want to say, if you do need to make a decision, come find one of us. 
What's really cool today is we are going to see the gospel preached to our eyes outside. And that's not the golly G's truck. That manna is coming from heaven. That's not what it is. But it's the fact that people are in that pool saying, I was dead in my sin, but I'm coming to new life in Christ. And so it's going to be really cool that we're seeing that they're saying, I'm avoiding God's judgment because I'm going to, I've accepted Jesus because I believe now I'm saved. And now I want the world to know about the change that's come in my life. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.